Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Achtung Momo, broadcasting from the beautiful South Bermondsey. Accept no substitute. Good morning, dear listeners. Welcome to Akdung Mill. Joining me to um, consider the sad passing this week of a Millwall um, mainstay of the 1960s side is our club historian, the unofficial club historian. It's Mr. Neil Fisler. How are you doing, Neil? How you going, mate? I don't think that uh, I don't think Dave Sullivan would like me having that unofficial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a history blagger. <laughs> number, perhaps, perhaps number two in the in the hit parade of Millwall club historians. Um, not even three or four, to be honest, because you've actually got Richard Lindsay, Ted Wilding. Uh, yeah, but I'm not sure what Chris Bethel describes himself as. But <laughs> I put myself in the in the National League Conference compared with the Premier League in that company, Neil. But um, yeah, purpose of today's show. Primarily, listeners, is to consider the, the sad news this week of a uh, club mainstay of the 1960s, um, Brian Snowden, who passed away this week. Um, a huge figure in the in the unbeaten run signs and the promotion signs of the uh, 64 and 65, I think it was, Neil. Major, major figure of the time, wasn't he, Brian? Absolutely. And I personally, I think it's a team that doesn't get the credit that it deserves. I, yeah, but I know that it'll get a lot of credit off the older generation, and I mean older than me, mm. uh, people that are old enough to remember uh, that side. Uh, but the younger generation, I don't think will quite appreciate what a great side that was. Going from Division 4, we're in the basement of the Football League, Division 4, a promotion, then a back to back promotion, uh, 59 home games unbeaten until they lost it to my local team down here. Yeah. Uh, it, it was quite some achievement. And, a, and at a time when Millwall had fluctuated, we hadn't had much success after World War II, had we? No. Um, we'd, um, and to be quite honest, we'd struggled for a number of years. Uh, and then things started to look up for a little while, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, a number of great managers. I mean, I'm just looking at the, the sequence, as, as Neil has said there, promotion from the bottom tier. This was 1964-65. Brian Snowden was a, a centre-half, so he was the, the, the rock in some ways upon which the defence was built. 
but to be promoted from Division 4, as it used to be, um, then into the second division the season after from the third to third two. We've got uh, Ron Gray, Billy Gray, Benny Fenton. These are big-named managers of the time. Um, and then they'd actually gone to achieve a fairly good standing in the second division in the end. I mean, by, by the time that... Um, I think Brian's uh, period at the club came to an end, um, I, I imagine, with the rise of Barry Kitchener at that time. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, well, it was with the rise of Kitch. As as soon as Kitch, they felt able was to take over, yeah, Brian Snowden was pushed out. But if you look at that back four, or back five, actually, if you want to include it, you actually had Tommy Wilson. Yeah. Harry Cripps. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Gilchrist, yeah, Brian Snowden, fantastic players, and then they had a certain Alex Stepney. Yes, <laughs> I, <laughs> not bad, not bad goalkeeper, not bad back line. In in all honesty, um, and as as we've said, I mean they, this team, this 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 defence primarily, uh, I think all of the managers were. Um, we're not attack-minded in the modern sense. It was built on good defence, and then you you played your football from from there onwards. Back in those times, it, I think one of the just thinking about your your opening point there, Neil, about it, that this is a side doesn't get the credit that it deserves. I suppose one of the reasons, maybe I don't know, but it was probably in the very early days of televised football. You, you didn't get an awful lot of TV coverage, particularly of the lower tiers uh, back then. So there just isn't that much footage around. You know, you get the odd bits and pieces here and there. But, you know, unfortunately, we live in an era where unless you can see it, it's quite hard to to think it, you know. And this this side just predated that bigger 1970s era, if you want, late 60s, early 70s, when TV really came into its own. So I think that's part of the reason. But to finish in eighth position in uh, in the second division from playing fourth division football is is some achievement. Um, There's a great uh, post from Danny Baker, actually, uh, that was of that era. The, uh, Brian predates my time, listeners. I, I don't speak from any personal memory of, of Brian Snow, only what I've read and, and found out about since. Um, but Danny Baker, Neil, says, uh, Brian Snow has died. He was captain of the mill in the 60s and a genuine proper hero of mine. That never leaves you. Uh, he's got a picture of the team in uh, training in Deptford Park on the gravel pitch there. Um, here he is, ball at his feet with the squad during training in, in Deptford Park. My team, my captain. That's quite a nice tribute by Danny, I think. I think he speaks for a lot of people because he's very, very well thought of, Brian Snowden. He is, absolutely. And what I think needs to be remembered was in that fourth division promotion with inside, he actually missed a large chunk of the season because he broke his ankle. Broke, broke his, his ankle, ankle. Wow. September 64 against Chester. Wow. And uh, was sent to the Miller Hospital, I was reading. I'm not sure where the Miller Hospital was right. or if it was any good. It must have been a new cross hospital or thereabouts. A local, so, yeah. A chunk of that season, but recovered and recovered well. That was, yeah, I'll take your point about television, but I think, I think the further we get away from things, uh, Things like this do get lost in the sands of time, don't they? They do. Uh, younger generation are are they interested in 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 history? Probably not. I think it's only the likes of me and you that and uh, 
and and a select band of others. I I, I hope this uh, yeah that want to keep this kind of thing alive. Otherwise, I think it would die. I I, I know what you mean. I I, I think sometimes oh, I hope this is my hope. Um, when we do these shows, Neil and I, um, I hope that we do mention names and games and capture times gone by because there it's not that far back this is within my lifetime listeners younger listeners that think they, they those kinds of things if there are any out there i don't know but um you know your life also will become history at some point it happens quite quickly um and i think to to mark these these club greats is important because you know the cliche that you keep reading online there is that football didn't start in 1992 it, it has a long and rich depth of history and players like like Brian Snowden um, are a representative of a certain type of game and certain type of player because when you read his his life story I'm just looking at your book here Neil um, Brian Snowden uh, centre half 144 games to the Lions between 63 and, and 67 he came from Bishop Auckland which is in the, in the North East but you know, he 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 played his football um, at Mill, but largely speaking in the lower lower leagues. I mean, we did make the second division in the end. But um, he ran, went on after football after he gave up the game um, to run a, a petrol station in Mepham in Kent. Um, it, it smacks of a different time, doesn't it? You know, footballers had to go back to fairly regular jobs after the, after the career. There wasn't the the glamour and money, maybe if that's how you see it nowadays. That um, it just wasn't around, was it? No, funnily enough, I know we're going to talk about our woeful uh, run of form at Norwich. We have to. <laughs> but I was looking a player up earlier on, and yeah, I don't want to diverge too much, but he, but he, he was a player that played for us in uh, in nineteen oh eight. A guy called Billy Hunter, right. And, he emigrated to America and became a petrol pump attendant. <laughs> That's a long way to go to man a petrol station. Basically, yeah. So it just it it shows that I I, I was looking I was reading on Facebook earlier on about uh, about a Yeovil player and uh, who quite a big name Yeovil player for them, but actually. Went to work for the local employer, which was the Westland Helicopter Factory. Yeah, yeah, down the West Country. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these people back then, they did, yeah, they did extraordinary jobs running a petrol station with Len Julians. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, but no less. Uh, so yeah, it was a different time. It was a different era, and they didn't earn Neymar types of. Two million pound a week, whatever he's picking up for. God knows, uh, he's over, being overpaid, whatever he's doing. But um, I suppose yeah. the mar- you, you command the market in the end, Neil. And I suppose you get paid what the market will will allow. But um, Brian Snow, there's a wonderful picture that Danny Baker's put online. It's a, it's got that kind of sixties washed out grainy kind of color to it in Deptford Park, playing on a gravel pitch. It's like kicking a ball around in your school playground, Neil, isn't it? You know, God knows our professionals trained um on, on it they did clearly there's brian in the center with the uh the, the ball at his feet as as uh, baker says here um an interesting career i mean he came to us via blackpool and portsmouth and then joined Millwall for six thousand pounds 
1963. There's a sum of money for your younger listeners, six grand. Um, after his Lions career, which would include the, the record-breaking 59 games unbeaten at home, um, which was an immense achievement. I, I, the only way I can ever de- describe that, really, now, the more you look at it, the more, um, I don't like the word awesome, but it's probably the best one I've got at the moment, the more awesome it becomes, is when you consider the only team to break it was the Liverpool side of the early 80s, which is debatably one of the greatest club sides of all time. You know, it would certainly be in the conversation. And it took them to take away a record constructed by Millwall at the end of Coldblow Lane. It's it's quite an achievement when you think to be part of that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but it's just a shame that we couldn't get our away form together, really. Yes. <laughs> I think I'll give my right arm for that approach now, to be to be really honest. But there we are. That's well, a no- subject. <laughs> yeah, I know we were talking at the weekend, me, you and H, yeah. weren't we? Yeah, same uh, point. Uh, three wins in 15. <laughs> it's a bit different. <laughs> unbeaten in 59. It was... Three years. Geez. Three years. Um, and that included the promotion season, unbeaten at, at Colblow Lane. And as Neela said, it took, uh, in the end, Division 2 football, Plymouth Argyle, in the end, as it had to in the end. Team uh, puts one too many past you and that was the end of it. But... A magnificent, a magnificent run, um, which stayed in the record books until the the early eighties. When, as I say, Liverpool finally took it away. And this was a magnificent Liverpool side, so it took that much to to get it off of us. Um, what they said about Brian Snowden was he was actually a Millwall fan almost until the end. He was an enthusiastic attendee of games at the yeah, day. Right. Okay. I didn't um, know that. Always. Always attended Docker's Day. Right. When the ex-boys got together and uh, he was quite often at the centre of things, chatting to everybody and reminiscing. Uh, these kind of people, they're dying out, aren't they? I got a message off Brian King last night mm. uh, uh, sending me a picture of uh, Gordon Bollands. Yeah, um, 1970s striker, early late 60s, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was his 80th birthday, either yesterday or the day before. And uh, he's now sadly suffering from dementia, apparently. So Is he? It, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, it, so, it's, so it's great that these players are, are still in touch with the club. And, they, and they're all fantastic guys. You get to speak to them. There's no airs and graces. I'm not sure if... Uh, yeah, but I'm not sure if Z and Fleming gives anybody the time of day in the car park afterwards, <laughs> or Tyler Bury, or people Ty, like the, that. The, the, I, I think, in fairness, Z and does, but um, Tyler, I don't know, he's gone now. He's gone to Denmark this morning, listeners. So yeah, um, but, I know what you, you mean. It's, it's a different different sense. Yeah, well, how accessible will these people be in forty, fifty years' time? It's. I think it's. I think we, we often call ourselves a working class club, Neil, and I think the players. I mean, I'd, I'd say this for football generally, mate. Right? I, I think this is a, we, obviously a Millwall show, so we look at the world through our own our own glasses. But it, there is a real sense of working class life of the fifties and sixties when you talk about these kinds of players. Um, it would go on. It actually had a little spell. I just, this is one I wanted to pick out for for listeners. It was actually part of the very first attempt to plant soccer soccer in the USA. He played for the Detroit Cougars um, in the mid-60s, 1967, 
uh, to January 68 played in, in, in Detroit, which was an attempt to try to transplant English and Scottish, I think some Irish players, as club sides into a North American soccer league, which didn't quite take off. Um, it was, a, it was, a, it, you know, it, it was it was a one-off experiment to transplant a whole side. I think Wolves did this, but he was part of the Detroit Cougars, which I think were primarily, uh, maybe uh, I stand to be corrected, they're primarily Hibernians and Hart players, I think, over there. So. Um, an interesting career. He would become a PE teacher after football, and then, as we've said, would run the Whitehall uh, service station in, which is in Mepham, alongside his former teammate Len Julians. Um, Brian Snowden, Neil, uh, 144 games, no goals, defender, 1935 to 2023. Oh, rest in peace, Brian Snowden. A great club. There's something I quite like to flag up there was another player that died recently jack elliott right who made uh two appearances and outside right uh joined us in november 46 so so straight after world war ii uh right. he actually worked in the solicitor's office right and jack hock right. <laughs> very famous name from back in time uh, absolutely uh, impressed him in a trial match at Bath. You didn't, you, know, you weren't signed back then. You had to play a trial match. <laughs> and sometimes you could be unfortunate and the trial match would take place in the first team. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to go down the bath to, to get your game as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So he died. Uh, he, yeah, he died uh, three or four. Well, yeah, three or four weeks ago, I think. Jack, Jack Elliott. I, I missed that one. So um, rest in peace, Jack, Jack oh. Elliott. I'm just looking, just before we close completely on Brian Snowden, that I've found a, a piece from, um, he would play at Margate in his post-Mill career listeners. And this is from um, Margate Club History site, margatefootballclubhistory.com. Um, Fantastic site. Uh, is it? It's, it, yeah. it's a nice piece on him, actually. But there's just one quote which I wanted to get in before we close on. On Bryce, I think it sums up the kind of player that he was. And if you want a, 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 a line that sums up the kind of player that Millwall fans want to watch, generally, ever, every player should read this. They say here that uh, Brian Snowden, um, he's, he's solid tackling, led the local press to comment that he gives and asks for no quarter. And if you want a, a Millwall um, club slogan for every, every player should have uh, tattooed on their arm, they're big on tats now, aren't they? Write that one on there. You give and ask for no quarter. Um, and I think that's a nice way to close uh, a little tribute to, to Brian Snowden. Rest in peace. Achtung, Milwal. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Neil, we have a game against Norwich on Saturday. Um, and we have one of the poorest records um, at Carrow Road. Um, you know, yeah, if you turn up on Saturday, you're going to have a bit of a wait. It's Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Sunday is always a, a TV game, isn't it? Um, Sunday, listeners, don't ignore me on, on, on uh, matters of detail. Um, we've got a very poor record at Carrow Road. It's never been a happy hunting ground for us. And in fact, I've dug out two fixtures here for us just to illustrate said point. Um, the the last time we won there, which was in 1968, which I think was the year of your birth, Neil, it was the year that gave us Neil Fissler. Mate, um, I, I was actually born 11 days after this game. <laughs> this game I think, on the 2nd of November, and I popped out on the 13th of November. Well, we're going to come back to that. That that's that's the last time we won in Norwich, and that was in uh, November November the third, nineteen sixty eight. I've got a, a press report to come back to on on that front. But but Neil, I wanted uh, when I, when I do these little shows, I try and find a fixture approximately at the same time of year. I don't know how long I can keep this going for. I don't know listeners, but I found um, a result one all, uh, a rare point for us in Norwich. I don't know why it's such a fearsome. Um, location for us to go to. It's actually quite a pleasant town, I always think, Norwich. Um, it was a one all draw. This was uh, dated the 25th of August, 1923, Norwich City v Millwall. And I've dug this one out just to have a quick look at because, um, well, just purely because it's, it's the closest that I could find uh, to the actual day of, of the Sunday's fixture. Um, and it's, I've got a report here. This is from the Weekly Dispatch, a long gone newspaper, London newspaper, dated the 26th of August. Looks like it might have been a Sunday paper. Um, Norwich won Mill Athletic. They're still calling us Mill Athletic. Uh, this would have been two years after we joined the, the uh, third division south of the Football League from the previous Southern League years. Um, but they, the, the weekly dispatch says that Norwich City were rather fortunate in sharing the points and, and the two goals with Mill. The latter's inside forwards shot badly during the opening stages. There's nothing new in this life, listeners. And But for this weakness, uh, Morris would have credited Millwall with the first goal of the match. 
as it was. This dis distinction fell to Denison. I think he's a Norwich player who shot through after a corner, corner kick. Morich, Morris equalised eight minutes later after the change of ends and subsequently made several fine efforts to put Mill in front. In the last minute of the game, though, Norwich hit the bar and the post. Um, Mill played the better football than Norwich, but the standard was never high. Um, the forwards seldom working together. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the, the, the sum of it. Um, Norwich City won, Mill Athletic won. I've picked out... Um, a team from that game, and I wanted to focus on one player in particular, Harry Morris Neil. Um, the team for the for the middle uh, that took the, the the field that that day at the Nest, which was Norwich City's previous stadium, a very strange looking stadium actually. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it. It was almost hewn from um, not quite cliff tops, but there, you've got very enclosed yeah. hills around it. Yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, it was actually a disused chalk pit. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, we've got to be honest. It's probably my favourite ex football ground uh, or football league ground because I I don't think my descriptive powers will do this ground justice. But if you can imagine uh, where they dug out the chalk mm. up high. They actually turned it into terracing and stands. So they had a lot of precarious looking structures. They did. They did. People, I mean, yeah, that people would actually view the match from and they paid to view the match from these precarious positions. But then I, but then I think it got, uh, yeah, it, became, it was deemed unsafe. I mean, it's well worth, you can search for this on um, online listeners. Have a look at, Google search the Nest Norwich, uh, and as Neil says, I mean it was. It, it you often see photos Neil from where people have got gone on ground uh, hopping trips abroad, and they go to places like the Faroe Islands or Iceland. Yeah, and you, exactly. you, have, you have a pitch hewn from a, a mountain yeah. side. Where you know, the, the, as the ball it goes across the, the uh, side on it's almost into a sheer face of rock, and it gives you that sense of um, you know cliff tops or cliffs all around the ground. But with angled terracing and, and people kind of clinging on to the most precarious looking um you know crash barriers in odd places, it's it was quite it's quite a sight, well worth a look, um, which is where this fixture was played. I think in the end Norwich had to move to Carrow Road because uh, it, it, the, the nest became impractical. Yeah, but um, it's deemed unsafe back in back <laughs> then. 1930s standards. <laughs> How unsafe is that when you think about it? Um, the Millwall side uh, achieved the draw at Norwich. It was a 3.30 kickoff, actually. It was odd. Um, anyway, Crawford in goal. Fault, Jack Fault, I think, uh, Neil. Richard yep. Hill, I think. Archie Gom, I remember from a previous show. Uh, Harold. Amos Piver. Alf Mule, I remember his name. Morris, which is uh, Harry Morris. I'm going to come back to, to Morris after we've just finished this team list, Lane and Gore. Um, I wanted to focus on Harry Morris, if I may, Neil, because I've looked in your book, and he's an interesting character, actually. Um, I thought it would just be worth mentioning, because this is one of the one of the joys of doing these shows, I find, is that you find some really interesting little stories, often nestling behind names and, and, and games that you, you didn't expect to, to turn up. But uh, Harry Morris, as he was as he was known, 
was uh, born David Hyman Morris, uh, a, a Jewish player, a, a, a fairly um, practicing Jewish uh, person as well. Talented. He was an inside forward, which would be, I suppose, a striker in maybe a winger in modern terms. Played 81 times for us between 1922 and 25, including this fixture at uh, Norwich we've just mentioned. 32 goals, so he's a pretty decent um, inside forward, come winger, I suppose. Born in Bethnal Green in 19, uh, 1897, listeners. Um, he would, interestingly, and we'll come back to this, he would die in Santa Clara, which is in California, in 1985. His career took in the, the Middlesex Regiment during the First World War. He served in, in, in the army. Um, he played for a side, I've never heard of this side, the Vicar of Wakefield FC, and apparently played on, um, I think it was Hackney Marshes, I read somewhere. There's a very odd-named football club, Vic, Vicar of Wakefield FC. I think you might find it was probably a pub. A pub. That's, an, that's, a, that's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that angle. I didn't ever, it was such a strange name, but I suppose a pub would make sense, actually. Um, so, yeah, Vicar of Wakefield FC. I think we will go with pub side. I think that probably sounds, sounds a better call than my my assessment. And then Fulham, Brentford, Millwall, he signed for us in 1921 uh, for £1,200. Then on to Swansea Town, as they were called, Swindon Town, Clapton Orient, Cheltenham. And then he coached, interestingly, in, in Sweden at uh, Gothenburg. Um, the the biog that, that Neil did in the Who's Who book, which I recommend, listeners, um, Harry... Uh, Morris, as he was known, had excellent power in both feet and certainly boosted Millwall's gold tally after joining with eight from 14 games and was the leading scorer in 1924 with 17 goals. I've just had a very quick look with Vicar of Wakefield. Yeah. Actually a pub at 83 Coventry Street, Bethnal Green. Wow. Wow. That's a find. That's a find. Vicar, we paid for a pub side then after... Presumably after the end of the First World War, he wanted to play football, so he's, he's played for the Vicar of Wakefield. Um, he would also go on after football. He, his career took in 307 goals across 449 games with many clubs, Cheltenham, and then, as we said, he finished up in coaching in, in Sweden. Interestingly, he finished up working for the British Embassy in Stockholm and saw diplomatic service in the USA until he retired in 1965. That's a twist. I didn't. I didn't see that one coming when I read his biography. I thought that's that's got to be worth worth a mention here. Um, and I looked on um, on Wikipedia as well, Neil. Um, just talking about Harry Harry Morris. Um, as we've said already, Morris was Jewish. Um, it says that he was observant of the faith, but he would play on Saturdays during his football career and only refused to play on high holidays. These must be certain landmark. Um, you know, Jewish Jewish festivals. Yeah, Hanukkah, I guess, and things like yes. that. Served in the Middlesex Regiment during the First World War. Um, he had a daughter, Estelle, who died from polio in 1930. This was a very common thing um, back then, unfortunately. He would work in Gothenburg. Uh, at the outbreak of the Second World War in 1939 and the invasion of Norway by the Germans the following year, Morris and his family remained in neutral Sweden until the end of the war. Um, he, for his job in the consulate, uh, Harry Morris helped prisoners of war escape to the UK. Um, the family emigrated to the USA after the war with Harry and Edith working for the British Information Service in New York. They eventually retired in San Mateo, California, where Edith died in 84, followed a year later by Harry. Um, now, I call that an interesting career, as well as all of that. 
He won um, success in, with Gothenburg in Swedish football, their Division Two playoffs in 1939. The District Masters Capet in 1939-40 for Gothenburg, as well as the Golden Boots, uh, the highest scorer in the Third Division South, 26-27-27-28. Um, what a career, what a life. Um, and there he is mentioned in our one-all draw at the Nest versus Norwich City in 1923. I thought it was just such a colourful life now. I thought I had to pick him out because, as we've said already with um, Brian Snowden, um, these 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 are the, the reasons why we do these shows, to pick out these characters, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it needs to be remembered, actually. I think Archie Gom, you mentioned, mm. uh, uh, in that side, actually scored in... I think our first win at the Nest, which came in 1927, a 2 0 win. Dick Parker wow. scored the other goal. Do check out pictures of the Nest, listeners. Um, well worth a look. Um, yeah, and, and there we are. That's that's a, a colourful and interesting life, Harry Morris. And sometimes I pick a player at random. When you look deeper into their life, you find all of this, um, all of this stuff. It's uh, on the joys of doing these shows. I find Neil. Um, so there we are. That's the 1923 picture. I wanted to mention, just to get in, the last time that we did actually win at Carrow Road. Norwich would move in the end from the, from the nest to Carrow Road. And that fixture, as we've said already, occurred on the 2nd of November 1968. It was a 3-0 win for the Lions. Quite a decisive win, actually. We, don't, um, we haven't won since at Norwich. Um, the side that won so well that day is a, is almost a, 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 a reading of the classic Millwall side of the 60s. Brian King, John Gilchrist, Barry Kitchener, Dennis Burnett, Harry Cripps, Eamon Dunphy, George Jacks, Keith Weller, Billy Neal, Derek Possett and Gordon Bolland, who we've mentioned already on his 80th birthday. Um, I found a Sunday Mirror report. Um, the Lions are zipped to the top. This win at Norwich in November 68 would put us briefly top of the table. We wouldn't finish top of the table, unfortunately, that season. We'd finish in 10th position. We'd fall away in the end. But uh, briefly, we went top. Sad Norwich let craft and effort, it says here. This is by Harold Mays of the Sunday Mirror. Uh, that well-known double act, Derek uh, Posse and Keith Weller, is the primary reason why Mill are knocking on the first division door. That's the opening paragraph. And I thought that was just a wonderful opening paragraph because how many times have we said that across our Mill careers, respectively, Neil? <laughs> Quite a few times. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't. Actually, yeah, the Norwich team that day contained Hugh Curran, who was part of our promotion winning side. Absolutely, absolutely. When he scored with 18 goals. It, 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 yeah, but it must have been a strange thing because there won't be that many people that will be at Carrow Road, certainly in the away end on Sunday. 12 o'clock start, it's a difficult one. Yeah. That we'll actually remember the last time we won there. No, no, I suppose not. No, I mean, to have gone there in 68, you'd have had to been, well, maybe a kid might have been taken there. You'd have to be at least my age, if you remember it. You probably, I mean, otherwise, you're talking about adulthood. So you're talking about 70s and 80s, you know, know, years old. Um, Funnily enough, our first win at Carrow Road which uh, came in front of the King, King George VI. Did it? I didn't know in, uh, 
in October 1938. Wow. Uh, he was in Norwich for the ceremonial opening of the town hall. Uh, <laughs> so he just thought he'd drop in and watch the football. <laughs> and walked along and dropped in and watched the first 15 minutes. <laughs> of a 2 0 win for Millwall with wow. Don Barber and Tom Brolly scoring the goals. We didn't actually have that bad a record there until 68. So we won there in 48. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of football, and we didn't play there very often. We always seemed to be in a different division. Different leagues, I suppose. Um, yeah. Jimmy Constantine and Willie Hurrell scoring in a 2-1 win. And then we won there again in 1950, which was another 2-0 victory. Stan Morgan and Chris Simmons scoring Ooh. the goals. Uh, but I go back, I, I tried to look. I looked in Richard Lindsay's brilliant uh, Millwall complete record. Yeah. To see what our record was like before the Football League. Uh, and we didn't actually play them until uh, our first game was at their original ground, which was Newmarket Road. Wow. Which came before the Nessa. God knows what that was like. A field, <laughs> field of a rope around it or something. <laughs> and But they'd actually outgrown that. Right. Soon afterwards, and we actually drew one-one there on the thirty-first of March, nineteen oh six. This was after they'd been kicked out of the Norfolk and Suffolk League right. to be informed in nineteen oh two. They were kicked out for being professional. <laughs> you couldn't go in the Norfolk and Suffolk League and uh, pay your players. And uh, our first win. Didn't come till 1908. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on. Billy Hunter scored in the only goal and uh, later coached Holland and Turkey. It ended up as a petrol pump attendant. (laughs) (laughs) That's a repeat repeat end career move to finish up running a petrol station. Uh, And just a couple of the other games that I picked out. We won there 2-0 on Christmas Day 1911. Quinn and Wilson scoring. But then in those days, you played the following. You know, you played the Reverse fixture. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we drew nil-nil at home. Right. Uh, uh, 1914, we won there 3-1. But Moody scoring a couple of goals. Uh, won there in April 1920, which was just before we joined the Football League. Jimmy Broad, uh, who... Uh, Played and managed Barcelona, coached Barcelona. Yeah, scored both goals in a two-one win, including a including a penalty. And uh, and as you say, Nick, uh, it's been downhill ever since. It's, it's a 50, 54 year old, fifty-three years, isn't it? Um, no, no, fifty-five years. Five years since we last got any uh, any joy at um, at Carroll. Just looking at the. Description of uh, Posse's goal. I just love this description. I've got a, this is this is a great journalism in my opinion. Um, what, what Keith Weller's long lob forward made the first goal. Posse presenting himself as a slippery eel, a slippery eel to goalkeeper Kevin Keelan before sliding home a sweet goal. I think that's the kind of descriptive prose that I like. A, a slippery eel in front of the uh, Norwich goalkeeper. Uh, he would have done it again in the 27th minute, apparently, but if had Keelan not decided that pulling him down was the only means of prevention. 
Keith Weller stroked in the resultant penalty. Um, okay, Weller's 25-yard uh, 25 third goal on 63 minutes was slightly out of character because uh, Keelan dived too soon and allowed the ball to pass over his body. Sounds like Kevin Keelan had a mare of a game in this particular fixture. Um, yeah, it sounds like Kevin Keelan. Yeah, well, actually had a George Long. <laughs> He's also departing, apparently, for Norwich. Strangely, strangely. But there we are. Um people shoot on sight. You know, it's going to happen. He's going to have an absolute blinder if he plays, isn't he? He'll, 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 he'll have it in for Gary Rowett and he will try and play out of his skin, if not for every game, certainly for that one. But you just know that's going to, going to happen. There we are. Um, big thank you to Neil for finding evidence that we can and have in the past done well at Norwich. Um if not for the last 55 years, certainly pre-First World War. Um, big thank you for joining me this morning, Neil. Yeah, no problem, mate. Yeah, well, we have to break that hoodoo, don't we? Uh, Sometime. Yeah, well, I'm a firm believer in uh, yeah, well, all good things must come to an end for Norwich. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that all, yeah, well, they're all good things are going to be... Uh, Wins over Millwall. We need it. We need a result. We need to cheer the club up after the last week we've just had. There's a general downbeat air, and I find myself caught in it as well, listeners. So a win at Norwich, if it can be done, would be a big, big dose of medicine for us all. So um, let's keep our fingers crossed for Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm away next week. I'm going to try and see what the internet situation's like where we're going down in North Devon. So if we can get a show out next week, we will do. If not, it'll be after the, uh, the the next game, which is Stoke at home, be up on the Sunday, probably after the Stoke game. We'll see how the internet shapes up, Neil, down at uh, North Devon. Um, until then, big thank you, Neil Fizzler. Thank you for joining me uh, today, mate. Yeah, no problem, mate. No problem at all. Thank you to you too, dear listeners, and thank you to everyone for listening. We've just paid um, 200 uh, 30 I think it was over to the, the Lions Food Hub this is what we do this is why we do the show money we make from the adverts you have to listen to gets paid to charity and I can't think of a better charity than Kelly and uh, the, the magnificent Lion Food Hub so um, big thank you to you too for listening because that's what generates the money to the next edition of Actung Millwall thank you for listening Arriva Dirty Millwall and bye for now <laughs> You're listening to After Normal. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.